Hello. Welcome to Lambda Forms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter of the band Lambda Forms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today's guests are Kira Clark and Keith McGraw of So Sensitive, an independent pop act that draws from the sounds of 80s and 90s popular music. Their newest album, Bedroom Drama, is a moody and bracingly honest collection of songs that don't skimp on grade A pop hooks. While this is the first so sensitive record, it isn't Kira and Keith's first time at the rodeo. Some listeners may remember their previous band, Muscle and Marrow. In our conversation today, we talked about the transformation that gave birth to So Sensitive, as well as their creative process for bedroom drama. Uh, A quick note about the production for this episode. My recording setup only works for two high-quality microphones, so I had to record my voice using my iPhone, uh, which also picked up Kira and Keith's voice from time to time. As a result, there's going to be an occasional chorus effect on all of our voices. I did my best to edit it out where possible, but if you hear something strange, now you know why. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Um, so I am here with Keith and Kira of So Sensitive. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. I actually first knew about the two of you from a different band, Muscle and Marrow. So I feel like most people that may be coming to this project, or a fair amount of people that might be coming to this project who are familiar with that previous iteration of the band. And so I'm mostly curious about how you get from playing a very like intense style of doom metal to playing in a pop band course no judgment i enjoy both bands equally but i'm very curious about how you turn one project into the other what was the process there well i had always felt a little bit of discomfort in the scene that we were in with mm-hmm. muscle and marrow i mean we had a lot of we met a lot of really lovely people and we had a lot of really wonderful people that supported the project so it's not um, an indication of whether I enjoyed that aspect of it, but uh, touring, I just, I felt pretty isolated. I was around a lot of like straight men all the time. And when we would tour, particularly like in the middle of the country, it's just, I had never really encountered such explicit <laughs> misogyny, honestly, mm-hmm. before. And I just kind of felt uncomfortable a little bit and I thought that maybe I wanted to do something different but I don't think I ever really allowed myself to think of it as a reality and then I think we were on tour with Marissa Nadler maybe that's actually the first time that I heard you guys too so oh which show were you at I was at Chicago at the time so it was (laughs) empty empty bottle yeah yeah there's some controversy with the empty bottle now. Have oh, you heard about that? I was just talking about that. I think somebody. he had a Me Too moment. Oh, The yeah. owner. I was just talking about that with Dave. Are you from Chicago? Uh, I lived there for nine years. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, somebody who worked on our last record, actually, we recorded with him in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just played at the empty bottle, his band. And I was talking to him about it. I was like, what's up with that place? There's like a Me Too thing happening. Something bad is happening with that place. He's like, oh, yeah, the owner. 
Oh, it's, it wasn't at the empty bottles. I like in, in one of their other spaces. But like he just like is a kind of a skis, I guess. Mm. And, or I don't know. There's, there was some things about him. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, don't say, do your own research. We're not sure. Yeah. But. Well, good to know. Certainly. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. Um. Anyhow, so we were driving around. The, and actually, I would say that that tour was actually went a lot better in general in terms of the people that we encountered. Honestly, I think because like she was also a woman and a big deal and it just felt a little bit different. But we um, were driving around and I just kept listening to like, you know, we listened to a bunch of music to try to stay awake on tour and everything I would put on was just like pop music in one iteration or another. And I kind of just thought, why don't we just try to make a pop record? It was kind of impulsive. I think. And then for a long time, we didn't know whether we were going to actually try to release it under the same project or change the project entirely. And ultimately, I just felt really insecure about releasing it under Muscle Marrow because I didn't want a bunch of like mean comments mm. about it because I didn't want to disappoint people and have their expectations um, not met. So wouldn't you say that was is kind of the origin story? Yeah. yeah. It's so long ago now. It's like hard to actually remember. Because it just is our reality now. It is, and there was. It wasn't like it was one moment that was like from here on out. Crystallized it, yeah. Or something. Yeah. Over a long period of time, lots of small things building up. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. When do you feel like the was the, uh, there a crystallization moment where you knew that you had to switch, or was it as? Uh, you mean like, you mean switch project like call switch it a projects or when did you know that you were doing something different in your writing process that. Well, we knew the writing process was different before we knew that we were going to start over, like in terms of the project name. Mm-hmm. And he was more hesitant to switch. I mean, I'm just in general, like the more impulsive one. And um, he kind of balances me out a little bit. But actually what happened was the night of the 2016 election, I <laughs> I started out drinking because I thought it was going to be a decent night. And then as the night went on I got progressively more drunk and progressively more upset and posted something from the Muscle Marrow Facebook page something you know silly or not silly but kind of impulsive that was like if you voted for Trump you know you can fuck off or something something like that you know and um when I woke up the next it was either the same night I think it was the same night we immediately got like all of the, not all, that's an exaggeration, but a, a notable amount of unlikes and then comments underneath that were in support of Trump. Mm. And my theory is just that we went on one too many tours with, I just think that somehow along the way we got um, exposed to a portion of the population that I'm actually, that I feel like could actually never really understand what I or we were trying to do with our music. And so when I found that out, I said to him, as I was drunk, I just said, I fuck it, I'm not. I can cuss, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Obviously, cares. okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm fam- Am I on, like, NPR right now? No. Um, anyhow, I just, I said to him, like, I'm not, I'm not doing that band anymore. Like, something went wrong, you know? And that's what happened. And then, of course, later on, I deeply regretted it in mm-hmm. some ways <laughs> when things weren't as easy as they used to be. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was hesitant originally because it's like, you know, we'd spent however many years building up and playing shows and uh, establishing a foundation. And like, it's not easy to do that as a band. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was hesitant to, to burn it all down. But I'm surprised we have anyone at all that followed us over 
And yeah. I'm so grateful for that. They feel yeah. really special. Totally, totally. And anybody that was into the, the, the earlier project and that is following us at all now is, yeah, we're grateful to have anybody. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed, at least in the early goings, the newer fans that are particular to So Sensitive, are they more along the kind of people that you feel like would get what you're about? compared to the previous Muscle and Marrow fans? Like, do you feel like you've found your tribe a bit more with the new project? Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we have a tribe, but I will say that I think, in general, I think there's like more women. I think that, yeah, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Yeah. But I also feel, like I said, like very heartened and grateful that I think I underestimated to an extent that some people would actually be open-minded and interested in this project as well, who liked the former one. Mm-hmm. So I just feel, yeah, I feel, they just feel very sacred to me, those people, you know? And so when did you start writing for this record, Bedroom Drama? I have no After idea. After that tour, I think. Was it? Yeah. And it took, so we had all these conversations and dialogue and we listened to like so many records, like a lot of, so on that tour, actually, we were sort of studying pop music, and remember we listened to like so, so many in sync songs. Oh, yeah, so much in sync. Boys to Men, Mariah Carey, Britney Spears. Also, I remember listening to the Carly record for the first time. Carly, Ra- Carly Ray Jepsen. Yeah. Emotion. Emotion. Yes. Yeah. We were yes. driving there. In, we were in California, driving to my brother's house. Do you remember? Like, I remember specifically listening to it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, because I think Lee yeah, from the Body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like those guys, those guys are the biggest pop heads. Yeah. Out of anybody. Recommended it to us or something. And I, yeah, yeah, we were like, come on, like the call me maybe lady, like how good can it be? Which was incredibly foolish, obviously in hindsight. Yeah, listening to that record, it was like, oh my god, this is amazing. We had a lot of fun, and then of course though, like if you listen to the, I mean, the greats of, I mean, obviously that's a subjective term, but, and I don't know if you can call it sync great. I think you can call them like very good at what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you try to do that and you go into like the writing process, you just immediately like you inevitably feel yeah. like yeah. what the hell? Huge am I? failure. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I'll just never be. Turns out you can't be Max Martin. No, uh, we tried, <laughs> or he tried, and I tried to be Justin Timberlake, and I was not good at it. But I think it was interesting to sort of like experience all of that influence and all the conscious sort of like attempts at writing songs like that and still just being your weird self, you know, like the sort of um, collapse of what we were trying to do, which was more conventional in some ways, but like met with, I don't know, it was kind of like inevitable, heavy, like sadness or heaviness or like desperation or something that it was sort of like, well, I guess no matter what I do, I actually just like cannot write a song like Carly Rae Jepsen. Like I just like can't do it. Yeah, you can only write Sadly. songs like yourself, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally, yeah. Um, that's, I was, one thing that I noticed in a lot of the reference points is a lot of, like, 90s mm. pop music in particular. And while I was listening to the record, I found myself thinking a lot about, like, the, the nature of, like, nostalgia in independent pop music. I think there's a lot of indie pop acts that sort of consciously ape, like, the 80s in particular uh, in terms of, like, sound choices and stuff like that. So when it came time to start like writing and arranging, were you deliberately trying to draw on 90s pop versus uh, more contemporary influences, or was it a mix of the two? 
Well, I think one thing I'll say about nostalgia is I think the distance gives you permission to say something is good and cool. Mm. Whereas like, you know, it's, it's uncool to be like, oh, I like this top 40 song right now or it's something. It's kind of changing right now. It's I changing like. a little bit, certainly. But I, I think also what was happening was that that's the music that I, <laughs> I mean, I didn't, bec- I didn't like start listening to bands that were not on the radio. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. Like I wasn't cool, whatever that means, for a very long time. So like that's the music that was really formative to me, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I think this was sort of like an embrace of saying, you know what? No, I actually genuinely like this stuff. And what would it mean to try to incorporate some of that into what I do? But as far as like, a, what would you say about? Well, I remember like when we were working on that record, I, I mean, I had bought a new keyboard, a new synthesizer, and it was like, it's one that we used primarily to write that entire record on for the most part. And I always like a lot of the times it's like we chose a sound or whatever and it's like, okay, like this is good enough for the writing or like, let's just get through this song. And then when it came time to like, okay, like I'm trying to finalize these songs and, and it's just, I, I had a hard time choosing ones that were different. It was like, and it's a really 80 sounding synth. And uh, I was just like, I, I just can't get away but from it. But he was really insecure about that actually. And I was always like, what's the problem? But I felt like you were really, cause you risk seeming like silly or derivative or something. I mean, Pastiche. everything is derivative, yeah. but. And I wasn't, I didn't, I definitely didn't set out to make a really like an 80s sounding record, but it was like, it seems like time and time again, like I was just like drawn to some of those sounds mm-hmm. where we were, and uh, I don't know, there was no escaping it. You mentioned that early on there was some false starts or failures to get where you were going. Did you feel like you had to relearn uh, some of the writing process mm-hmm. in order to to get to where you were trying to go for on this record? Something that I will say is that with Muscle and Marrow, all the songs were super, super organic and immediate and just like came out of some sort of like wounded part of myself and I was too kind of insecure to actually like work on them as um, a craft or something. So with this stuff, like we would actually do, like the writing process was really different and less private in a way, sort of. Like we would collaborate in terms of like experiments. Like there was one song that we just tried to like blatantly copy the structure of which in sync song? I want you back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And sometimes you'll find that just, or for me, and this is true for all art, actually, is that ironically, like boundaries and structure can sometimes actually feel very liberating because it, the confines make you feel like safer and less overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the writing was really different, wouldn't you say? And just yeah. like working again, like that court, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Like mm-hmm. I killed a lot more. Like babies along the, I mean, you know what I mean. That was, like, that was a saying that we, <laughs> that was a saying that we came up with that we said a lot. It was like, yeah, we gotta kill babies. We gotta kill yeah. babies. Whereas, like, I was not able to really let you do that or before. You know, everything was too precious or the, something. The process was a little bit different too, right? Because it was like with a lot of the Muslim Arrow stuff, it was you would like come to me with like a guitar track or with well, like know, a full song or a full yeah something more fully, and I would just like kind of add stuff to it mm-hmm. and then this was like a little bit more ground up together yeah super different yeah what were the first batch of songs on the record that came together cold cold you know 
I, I that's, honestly know remember. No that's really interesting. I would have guessed something along those lines. That's funny. Those are the two I feel that have like a certain degree of edge to them. <laughs> that I wouldn't say that they're like pop songs that a metal band would write, but they're probably pop songs that metal fans would be more like likely to listen to. Huh. But don't you think that "I Love You" has a lot of emotional connect? Like I feel like it has. I don't know if you know. That. I'm not to assume no, no, no. that so you that's know. That's the closing track. Yeah, yeah, right? it's the closing track, and I feel like it has the most in common emotionally with Muscle and Marrow in a way because it's like the weirdest and the most like shoegazy. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's yeah. the most like desperate or something. Uh-huh. I thought to myself, I feel like, I feel like those dudes might like this song. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That would have been the other like the third track along those lines yeah. that I would have listed. I don't remember what the last song was to make the record. Uh, I don't remember, but I remember that. What's a girl to do and body for were kind of together in a in a thing in a cluster. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they uh-huh. and they came especially what's a girl to do came really quick, which was like really weird for us. Oh yeah, that's my favorite song on the record, and uh, and it came. It was like two nights or something. It was like, bam! Like you did the vocals. No, like I you were out of town somewhere, and I sent you a phone recording really? of the song. Oh, I vaguely remember that. And then you came home, and you just, like, whipped something up really quickly. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. I feel like that's a pretty common story with a lot of bands, like, the like the best song or the most immediate song is one that happens, like, Don't say that, because we're struggling over this <laughs> song right now. <laughs> Well, that just means that at some point you'll probably write another song very quickly that will be very good. Like, every song happens differently. But I think there's something to that where sometimes, like, you kind of build a rhythm and at one point you break through yeah. with something that comes very quickly once you've kind of gotten your your grounding a bit more. Yeah, those feel really magical and sort of, like, very mysterious. Like, how did that happen? How did I do that? I feel like there's a kind of an analog to like another one that we have right now that's a little bit like that. That was like it came it came quick and it like felt good immediately. Mm. Sometimes yeah, sometimes you really labor out over them and they be, they take different forms and it's like you oh, lose your mind. This. Is this good? Is this terrible? Am I talented at there's all? There's so many iterations like, that a song could be. It's impossible. It's myself. really <laughs> maddening. Yes. Oh jeez. That's another thing that I wanted to actually ask about is I feel like the one of the benefits of writing in a more pop idiom is you actually have more opportunities to mess around with arrangement Mm. and specific sonic textures and rhythm in a way that when you're just writing songs to be heavy or aggressive you're a bit more boxed in in terms of like how to achieve the effect you're going for yeah did a lot of these songs go through multiple iterations where you screwed around with different ways of presenting the uh, the lyrics or different ways of presenting the melody. Like, yeah, I would say mostly a ri- like arrangements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And some, God, which song? I feel like there was one song. I mean, there are, I think, honestly, there's like songs that started out literally as a different song and then slowly, like piece by piece, like became a completely different thing. I feel like that happened. On Bedroom Drama? Yes. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it did yeah. happen. It was kind of a while ago, uh-huh. to be honest. <laughs> no, so. but it's. I actually find that freedom to be... Yeah, kind of terrifying. Yes, totally terrifying. Like, you're staring into the abyss, and you're like, am I good enough to make the right choice? I mean, there is no right choice, but you certainly can feel like there's a right choice, and that you will make the wrong one, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you have, like, a kind of a relationship with every song. It's like, 
am I treating you the best? Am I crafting you into what you should be? Or am I turning you into something wrong? Am I, yeah, I don't know. It's just like a weird, complicated, sometimes anyway, for me, fraught process. Yeah, and we'll have different ideas a lot of the time about songs, but I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not very good at communicating what I want, so. Was there like a particular song on the record that needed a lot of communication on? Like, Hi, are you bringing out the track list right now? Okay, go ahead, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> I honestly, so uh, what was the question? Oh, just like, was there a particular song that required a lot of work to get right? Uh, one that sticks out that you had different ideas on or that needed a lot of different iterations to, to find the, the final version. You can let it out, maybe. That's the sort of upbeat, dancey one. Yeah. yeah. Upbeat. Yeah, it's kind of upbeat. I mean that purely in a tempo sense. Hmm. Um, emotionally, I, I wouldn't... Yeah, I think Let It Out... record, you know, I wouldn't call upbeat necessarily. <laughs> I think Let It Out we struggled with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we totally did. And then I changed, like, the entire verse Melody, oh, yeah. like really, like yeah, a very later, very, like yeah, very late, late in, in the, the process, yeah. like a couple weeks. I feel like before we were gonna yeah. record, actually. And then there are some songs that we listen to now, and we just think, where we think like, oh, we could have done something better, you know, like. Oh yeah, of course. You know, you always have questions. You always wonder. Did we struggle with Star? I think Star we struggled with. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. What in particular made that song difficult? I don't remember. I remember us trying to play it live and like me not knowing what to do on the drums for a really mm, But time. I mean before that, but yeah. Well, yeah, because originally we, because I think it's electronic drums on the record, right? Yeah. But live, we play live drums. Yeah, it's like a combo of both, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and Lipstick I had to fight for, actually, because he was never super into it and didn't understand. <laughs> it's true, you're gonna deny it. I, I honestly don't remember. Well, he never liked it and I fought for it. I said, it's a good song, it's catchy. And you never liked it. Is that true? It's true. I'll, I'll take your And it's all it. of my girlfriend's, like, favorite song hmm. on the record. That particular song, especially in its placement on the record, the fact that it's, like, dead center in the track list kind of feels like the the center of the album, mm -hmm. sort of. The heart. Yeah. Is that true? It's, the, like, the longest song on the album, and it perfectly divides the album in two. Because there's the really long bridge is why right. it's the longest. <laughs> But I, I think that that kind of is important to have a, a song like that that mm. does have a bit more space, especially at that point. I think it kind of makes, it puts the emphasis on it in some way. Mm. And I feel like it's also representative of maybe a kind of switch in the tonality of the album. Like I think the first half is a bit more direct melodically, and then mm -hmm. the second half is maybe just slightly more reserved. Hmm, mm. Interesting. But that's just how I was hearing it. Yeah. That's interesting. Going back to Let It Out briefly, that song interested me because because it's so much of a, like, the rhythms of it are so different than the rest of the yeah, record. Yeah, it's kind of a totally. departure. Yeah. Was that something that you had the, the like, the quote-unquote beat for first, or did you have the song separate of that kind of production first? That one was me first, I imagine, right? feel like I want to say it was separate but I don't remember but I do know that we'll talk about your I mean, he's always trying to write songs like this yeah I mean I'm always you know always trying to shoehorn some like more electronic stuff in and uh, to to greater or lesser success I don't know what house music is yeah, that there's some house in there it's, it's like a two-step 
kind of definitely like yeah, yeah I definitely took some like burial yes cues. Yeah, yeah and like yeah like the like the and I say grimy not as in grime music but like grimy as in dirty sounding mm, like textural uh, yeah. yeah like um like the snare side stick hits and stuff like that yeah mm. definitely was thinking about two step like garage <laughs> <laughs> I always forget about that song, and every time I listen to it, I think, I like this song. It's like the Dark Horse of the record, I feel like. Yeah, it's, it is kind of a weird out one. Yeah, it's weird. It's a cool song to have second to last because it sort of, uh, like, speeds you up towards the ending, in mm. a way. And then I Love You obviously has the huge sort of washed out kind of sound to yeah. close things off. That for that one, it feels like it was written to be a closer in some ways. Or at least was like written with the scale of like closing credits music. I think we didn't have that in mind when we wrote it, but I think I pretty immediately was like, oh yeah, oh, we yeah, can just close the record with this. But I also feel like I had to fight for this song, and I'm not positive if I'm correct, but I feel also that I had to convince you that it was worthy. I honestly don't remember. I think he's called it boring once or twice. <laughs> 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 and well, just recently I had to convince us to him to play it live, remember? Yeah, we played it live. Because we had a guitarist with us, so it's like slightly different. Yeah, and yeah, I was I was on the fence about that for sure. But well, we listen okay. so differently. Like we just have very different frames of reference and what we listen for. I'm proud of that song lyrically, and yeah, like the feeling of it. And he just listens to music differently. How are your listening styles different? Like, what are you each listening for? Well, I I grew up in a in a household where like formal musical training was like like at the forefront of like uh, like my childhood for for certain periods like my dad he uh was like a hobbyist but a jazz pianist and um like I took piano lessons and grew up in, in that world and, and went to music school and uh so like I guess like technical things and stuff like that was at least it's like less much less true now than it used to be but and like individual components of I guess songs also, also, can pick out, right? Like yeah, also like studying like he'll say like I don't like the way that snare sounds, you know? <laughs> yeah, like audio engineering, like that kind of stuff. Being in, being into that world too, uh, I guess I'm a, I'm attuned to those kinds of things. Whereas you describe yours. Well, like my earliest, ex like profound experiences with music were just like going to the one record store in Oklahoma City and or like the one cool record store and like having this dude that worked there like tell me what to buy and like sitting in my funny Saturn car when I was like 15 or 14 before I was supposed to be driving and listening to like CDs of Bright Eyes and Neutral Milk Hotel and like reading I mean front to like cover to cover the lyric like inserts mm -hmm. you know and just like obsessing over, oh, and cursive, that band cursive, like obsessing over like the lyrics and what it means. And like language has always been incredibly important to me and books and poetry and just like the feeling, the way something makes me feel. And that's actually kind of why we have sometimes trouble communicating because we speak really different languages when it comes to, to, to writing and listening to music. I mean, we've converged to an extent over the years, like you've become better at translating me, I think in terms of like what I'm actually trying trying to convey to you technically. But yeah, and I think sometimes I have a I think sometimes I have a better ear for pop maybe. I think that's true. Yeah. I, I try to overcomplicate things a lot of the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. To my to my detriment. Also, I don't know if this is ironic or not, but 
when I used to, like, when I was about the, the same age as you, I did actually the same thing. Where, like, I don't know if I've ever talked, if we've ever talked about this. I would honestly, I would not listen to a record or a CD, rather. The first time that I ever listened to any CD, like, I had to be alone with, like, headphones on and reading the lyrics. <gasps> That's so interesting. Yeah. Huh. I, it, like, I remember, like, there were a few times, like, I bought a CD with, like, friends or, like, I remember having it with my sister. Be like, yeah, like, let's put that CD on. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> this, this, one, this is my CD. So well, I'll alone later. Well, because sometimes, like, like I'll show him like a demo or like a song I'm working on, and and then he'll like later on I'll just be like, "Do you even know what this song is about, or do you even care? Have you ever even once listened to like what I'm saying?" And the answer is usually no. He has sometimes not. Sometimes no. <laughs> Were there any kind of songs that you needed to change the arrangement of to fit the lyrical themes more? What What do you mean exactly? So there's just a few examples of kind of production choices that I think are interesting with how they reflect against the lyrics. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I, admittedly, I don't have a lyric sheet, so I might be mishearing things. Mm -hmm. And I also kind of suffer from like, what I call second verse deafness. Like I also think I'm not so easy to understand and I want to change that anyway. Okay, good to know. But uh, so I was specifically thinking about what's my body for and actually what's a girl to do. Those two, you said they kind of happen around the same time. Is that right? Yeah, those are kind of a, of a piece in some ways. There's a sense of like the way that the rhythms in those songs like work against the music kind of adds to this level of like uncertainty mm -hmm. or self-doubt like the fact that like the rhythm in what's my body for is it is in 4-4 but it tricks you into thinking that it's not yeah, unless yeah. you like really count it out kind of like colors at least for me colors the way that i'm hearing the emotions of the lyrics but maybe that's maybe i'm off base with that i just want to note that also i i wrote that like the drum pattern and the rhythm and stuff like you know on the computer probably with like an Ableton push and like just like on keys and stuff and then when I went to learn it just like actually playing drums on it I had such a hard time <laughs> 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 and also Gabe when uh when we for our record release we had my friend came in and played bass and guitar with us he was like is this song in, in four like what, what's going on here <laughs> there's like a snare hit in like the weirdest possible place <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't think that I was like, I probably was not paying as, as much of attention as I should have been to like. Shocking. Yeah, I, I was afraid to say that because of this. I think that, well, also I think that, I think that we, on that one in particular, I think we had a vibe going and like some like feel and some stuff going before you read the lyrics though too. I think on Body Four, yeah. On Body Four, not yeah. on Mr. Girl to Do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, re I remember specifically actually trying to, I mean, it's a huge failure, uh, but I, I remember trying to sound like a, specifically like an Andy Stott song on that, on that, for that track, but mm. it, it didn't, doesn't sound anything like him, obviously, but uh, that was what I was going for originally. And that's for, uh, what's the role to do? For, uh, no, Body oh, for it. Body for it, gotcha. What's okay. my body for it, yeah. Those also, uh, speaking of What's a Girl to Do, that's the only song on the record to have a full music video for it. And one of the other things I think about pop music is that there is a much higher emphasis on the visual component of the band. So I was interested in what your inspirations or aspirations were for the visual component of So Sensitive. Ooh, I guess that's sort of my world, huh? My domain. 
in some ways. Well, I just want to say that we would love to make more videos, but they're very costly. Mm -hmm. um, but we actually have started doing this thing where we just like shoot our own little mini videos for the songs with our iPhones and we have been posting them to Instagram. So, and that's really fun for me because I sort of come up with all the visuals and like vaguely direct the scenes and then he like shoots them. So that's been a really fun and interesting and generative process. I guess like the inspiration, feminine, disturbing, kind of kind of sexual, but it, like in an uneasy way, mm -hmm. kind of playing with power, um, submission, tender tenderness, I would say too. Yeah, I mean, sub yeah. I mean, Touch. To, to some extent, like subverting like classic roles, gender roles and stuff like that. Bodily. Disgust, like a like a subversion of of desire, sort of something, you know, like confusing and disturbing, and also like vaguely sexual, sort of wrapped up into one. Right. Yeah. There's a combination of the sort of like upper crust aesthetic, but with flies on it. You know. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. That was um, uh, Lisa. We worked with an amazing art, art director, director yeah. on the video, and she had just like this wealth of really incredible ideas that we all really loved. And she built that paper mache horse like herself. Mm. And it's like, it's like vaguely life-size. She was really amazing. And I want to work with her forever. And yeah, the flies on the face was so bizarre. Those were real, real dead flies that were glued to my face. <laughs> yes, that, you know, that they bought, star. yeah, like on the internet. You just yeah. like ordered dead flies on internet. Yeah. yeah. Huh. It's not pretty wild, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the Instagram video thing because it, there's obviously like a practical and budgetary element to it, but I also think that there's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more of that in the future. Like, did you follow the Tierra Lack album that came out last year, Whack World? Uh, I, I'm like pretty late to the party. I, mm -hmm. I know about it, but I haven't, I haven't checked it out, but I know it's like one minute songs and like, right. Yeah. And like, uh, like a lot of people that I respect are like really into it, but I don't know about it. Basically the idea is it's like all songs that were written to fit the length of an Instagram video. Yeah. And all of the videos were just initially like the entire album was just like 10 music videos for one minute songs each all just posted to Instagram. So I actually think that you've kind of stumbled into or done it intentionally. I don't want to, you know, I mean, rob you of intention, but the, I think that there's there is actually ground for some interesting work doing like sort of mini music videos to fit a new form. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it generates content, which makes me want to throw up. Like just saying that phrase, but it's it's it has been like fun for me, and it's like you know, social media is just like kind of hellish in some ways, and. It's a thing I can post that, like, I'm proud of. <laughs> that, yeah, that breaks it up. I mean, so you can, like, when you use words like branding and stuff like that, it feels kind of, it feels kind of gross because it, it, it almost like saps the kind of the pure creativity of being an artist or something like that, right? Um, it's like, it's like that, like that's a phrase that artists don't like to use, and mm -hmm. I totally get it. But like another, another lens to view something like Instagram through, I feel like is like, oh, we're, we're building a visual component, which is a part of this world that we're creating. And like, it's all part of this same project. And there's something kind of cool and interesting and, and new as in, you know, in the last 
10 years like you know if whatever whatever band that you respect from more than 10 years ago or 20 years ago like if they were around then like they would probably be stoked to have like you know David Bowie when he was making Space Oddity would probably be have like he would have had like a cool Instagram you know like I don't know definitely I mean it's not all bad obviously it's not that simple but it is tiring to perform a self all the time and I think that it's a substitute it can feel like intimacy but it's it's just not then there's really no substitute for like touch yeah, I have a fraught relationship with, with all of it. I mean, I, I have a, and it's not that I have a, I actually really enjoy like the, the visual component. It's really fun for me and really creative. And it feels sort of like performance art in a way, like an extension of something that I'm actually just like already interested in. But, you know, I mean, Instagram and Facebook are just like it makes you feel it can make you feel super isolated and super lonely and super sad and like no matter I just want to say no matter what our Instagram looks like like I am like in pajamas and sad at home you know like it's just not like a a real represent an authentic representation and as long as you know that and are conscious of that as you consume it I think that it's it's fine you know totally I yeah I guess when I was talking about that stuff before I I I don't want to discount that aspect of it too. Like, yeah, no, I we're not like, yeah. like, oh, like art should be like pure. And I mean, I think that's also a thing that gets thrown at like female artists a lot. Like, you know, they're not like authentic because like they dress up or like they, they take selfies. Yeah, or, or they care about the way they present their body in the world in relation to their project. And I think all of that is like bullshit. But it's not, you know. There's just like complicated elements. I to guess. It. I guess that's the. I guess that's the boil. It, the easiest way to boil it down. It's really complicated because, like, I do think there's like a lot of really toxic shit that obviously happens with social media and like. As a as a consumer of it, I don't think it like makes me happier. Uh, doesn't make my. I don't know if it necessarily makes my life better, but like it. It also can potentially be uh, like an expressive, interesting outlet you know for artwork Uh, so before i know you're kind of short on time so i don't want to keep you too long a great time but i do want to talk a bit about the lyrics again i i don't have all of it in front of me so i'm just gonna sort of be pretty vague but i was wondering what the differences were in your writing process for this project compared to songs that you've written in the past um i think that On some of the songs, I set out to have an explicit theme that I knew I wanted to convey beforehand. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, everything was very just like stream of consciousness and like, like I said before, like organic and immediate and not really calculated. And I mean, this record is like still, I mean, it's like sincere. I mean what I'm saying, but... You know, like for lipstick, I set out wanting to write like a super poppy, what just sounded like a really normal, like fun summary, like like love song about like sex or something. But if you listen carefully, like the pronoun is like it's a queer song. The pronoun is about like it's the pronoun is or the not the pronoun, but I say girl. Yeah. Yeah. So there was just more like intention behind some of the songs thematically 
did you sort of know that you had like a, did you have a theme in mind for the entire mm. album to begin with and were, were you writing towards that or did each song come separately lyrically well I guess like both I mean each song was separate but um I mean in general like I just am like obsessed with obsession and uh like desperation and devotion I don't know why I can't like stop I, I just like can't shake that it's just like it, it feel like it's in almost every song to some extent. I mean, like for Devotion, the song, like I knew I wanted to write a song about like a suicidal housewife. And also I will say that something quite different is that I don't think people know this or picked up on it, which is fine. But on on a lot of the songs, uh, I'm actually writing from like a character's perspective, like not mm-hmm. my point of view. I mean, I don't think that I think every song is actually <laughs> I think every work of art is about the maker to an extent. Right. Because like you're the curator, you're the whatever. And I chose the characters and I, so they're like slivers of me or exaggerated parts of me. But like on Muscle and Marrow, for the most part, like everything was really personal and true to my experience. And on this record, it's actually really freeing and really interesting to sort of be like, okay, I feel like a suicidal housewife sometimes, but I'm not. But I want to like write this just really ridiculous extreme song about Mm -hmm. that. So that was actually, yeah, that's quite different. That also, that particular song, the opening lyric, the like two p.m. and I'm wine drunk. Yeah, I, like that to me when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's the vibe of the record. That's what <laughs> <song> sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I yeah, that song is really fun to. That's actually one of the songs that we sometimes listen back to, or him in particular, and kind of like wishes that maybe we had done like produced it slightly differently. But live, it's really, it's fun. It's fun for me to sing live. I guess it's really mm. fun. Yeah. It's just like so over the top. Well, there's that one great break in that song where all the instruments cut out and it's just your vocals. And it's like... You oh, yeah. That, it's like, like the classic pop moment. And you get that one little moment of grit on oh, like yeah. the high note. Yes. When I sang that, oh, God, I was my voice was shot and I was so cranky and I was so done. But we were like on a deadline and we remember we had to get it done. I remember and I was exactly. just yeah. like having a lot of emotional problems. It was hot as hell. Hell it was hot. It was awful. And I thought I was I thought I was gonna have a complete meltdown. But then we got that take and you were like, oh, we this, this is the one. Yeah, we have to use that. How my voice because I actually don't I mean this sounds crazy because I know I was in like a heavy band where I s- screamed, but I don't have a lot of grit naturally to my singing voice. Like mm-hmm. I can scream, but if I'm singing, my voice is actually like pretty clean. So I was really excited to have some grit. I just really envy people that can sing sing with grit. I had mastered the scream, but grittiness is elusive. So you've sort of alluded to the fact that you're working on newer material as well. Where do you see the project going aesthetically, or where do you want to push it to next? The question of the hour. Yeah, I mean, I. It feels like, it feels like there's many different possibilities right now, and we're still making Two. lots of decisions. Two ish. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, right now, interestingly, we're kind of we've written a couple things that feel actually more organic and less like electronic. But then it's complicated because like we need musicians really to play those songs. That's so confusing. But um, we've been listening to a ton of this woman, Aldous Harding. Have you ever listened to her? I have not. OK, Where will you she- promise to listen to her? Where should I start? Okay, so I actually just like go to so go to YouTube and I would start with this older song which is called um, Horizon, okay. and that's sort of more like 
depressive and he- and heavier and then go to her newer stuff which is like the a couple video you have to watch the visuals with it the mm-hmm. song called the barrel anyway you just have to listen to her so i've been listening to her a lot and i think i think that there's this feeling for me where like i kind of want to make something like slightly more understated like i feel insecure that everything i do is just like so ridiculous so overwrought <laughs> there's a there's i mean i feel like a certain insecurity in terms of like making things more simple and minimal yeah it's scary it's, it's more vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. but that's kind of the direction yeah it's kind of what's happening right now are kind of getting, yeah i would say things are getting more stripped back in certain ways and uh I really want to write like a true thing. piano ballad with like just <laughs> piano and vocals. We're finding out just how hard that is. It's impossible. Yeah, very limited options. Impossible. Yeah, but yeah. also the entire the freedom of an entire piano. So. Yeah, and like, you just your melody has to be so good. There's an opening. Everything has to be so good. The opening song from <clears throat> the Lana Del. Lena or Lana? Lana. Lana Del Rey record. Have you listened to that record? The newest one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the opening song, which is kind of like a, I feel like she's like channeling Joni Mitchell or something. It's, I think a lot of that record yeah. is her going for the Joni Mitchell. Yeah, but the yeah. opener, so I actually, I'm, I don't actually love all of the record, but the first like two tracks I'm really obsessed with, and the first one in particular. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I heard it, and I just thought, I just like, this is such a, like a classic song. And I just want to write that somehow, you know, like. The classic American song. A song, a real song. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. You know it when you hear it. You know it when you hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Bob Dylan. I don't know. Something. <laughs> three chords and the truth. It reminds me of there's this uh, interview with St. Vincent that I was listening to where she talked about her song New York. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I've written a lot of songs that people like, but I don't think I've written any songs that could be someone's favorite song. I've, I think I've heard, I'm like obsessed with hers. I think I've heard yeah. that interview actually. And so she like wrote that song with the intention of trying to write someone's favorite song. I really love her. And the thing I will say though about her is that I think that she actually, like New York is in some ways one of the most like vulnerable things she's ever done. Like mm-hmm. I think, I mean, she's so brilliant, but but like sometimes I want more like vulnerability from her you know there's so much like complicated imagery and like there's kind of like a distance and she's such a performer and there's all these like she's incredible but yeah I feel like that song is like her stripped back song song also there's a song on that record that I love that I need to tell you about maybe after the podcast because I'm taking up time but like uh yeah (laughs) it's also like a song song that I remember I sobbed when I first heard it like wept yes wept it's okay, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. This, but that, it strikes me that sort of the arc of the project, going from Muscle and Marrow to where you are now and on to the next record, it's all about sort of stripping away the sort of shield mm-hmm. of complexity or you're, you're allowing yourself to become more and more, like the song itself to be more and more of the thing that is carrying things. Or at least it, it sounds to me like you're you're the, you're chasing a kind of vulnerability that each step you're you're allowing yourself to be more and more upfront in some way with I, the, what you're writing. I, Does I that make sense? I think that's true. I mean, I think the more that I work on music and like the le- the less I feel like I need to hide behind something. I think, and I, I mean, I don't think I'm comfortable by any means and like 
I don't, I don't know if I've attained anything, but like I, I do. I mean, I feel like, at least in, in terms of production choices and stuff like that, like we're we're reaching towards being more direct in some ways. I think there was a lot of like perceived vulnerability with Muscle and Marrow, and I can totally see why, but actually like performing that stuff again and again was such a caricature of vulnerability in some ways like the intensity and like the screaming and the pain and all that is real like I felt those things when I was writing the songs but like to have to like do that version of myself again and again and again just felt kind of insincere Mm -hmm. ultimately and yeah there's something way way more vulnerable about being direct and just like intimate or something it's like far scarier than like having a guitar and screaming to me and being loud yeah kind of like how i would rather play to like hundreds of people than like seven people any day i think most people feel (laughs) well in terms of intimacy there too okay well some people some people no i just mean oh oh i mean yeah well some people would say like oh this is not a big deal there's like no one here no one cares for me i'm like my God, there's six people here and I can see all of their faces and they all hate me and they all are bored and they want me to get off the stage. And it's just like so much more terrifying than like if it were like a, a like a big blog. deal show, like a pressury show where mm. I was supposed to like impress lots of people. That is like way easier. The process of bringing So Sensitive to the stage and interpreting these songs live, um, how has that been so far? What have you learned about the band by doing that? My limitations. That's something that we, I feel like we, that I struggle with and like think about a lot. And I don't know if we're doing it the best. Like maybe we should have more people doing it with us, or like maybe that would make the show more interesting or more engaging. Um, but that, but then it becomes a balance of like getting more people involved, which is also which just introduces its own challenges. So I don't know. I I don't have an answer for it, and it's something that I think about and don't ever really think we're doing like the best at yeah I've learned how much I just sort of like crave being a like a like a pop person a pop star who doesn't play anything like I would just be (laughs) happy as a clam like singing and like you know doing my hand motions and serenading people like I have this fantasy of like uncoiling the mic you know and like walking around the stage and (laughs) but that That could happen that could happen (laughs) depends on how we want to roll Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, we have backing tracks. It's weird. You know, it's, like, impossible to get away from that when there's just two of you. Really. Yeah. I mean, the choice is either have some kind of playback or have significantly stripped back, you know, sound. And I think, I don't know, I think the the kind of music that we're playing, it feels like playback feels better to me. But Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then sometimes we see people who just like walk on stage and hit a button and sing and we think, wow, that is so brave. Like if they can do that, like we can do what we're doing. Yeah. It does seem like there's been a shift in live music towards like more acceptance of however you get it done. Yeah. Just do it, you know? Yeah, because they've still labored over that stuff, you know? It's not like it changes any of the process or something. Like they didn't work as hard or they're not like talented or something. And I think as long as you're like engaging or sincere or there's something at stake on some level in the performance like who cares i just think it's snobbery to say otherwise honestly a performance can be literally anything like 
like you said, so many hitting buttons and just singing or like not even doing that much. Like a performance can be engaging depending on who it is and what they're doing, no matter what. Like there's no conditions for it. But that being said, I still feel secure about however, whatever we proceed. Well, do you have any uh, shows coming up that you want to promote or anything on the horizon at the moment? We're going on our first tour. It's so sensitive. It's a small tour. It's like two weeks. But we're playing um, a homecoming show on December 15th at the Bowery Electric. Excellent. And where are the other cities that you're hitting? Philly, Boston, D.C., uh, Baltimore. Going to Montreal? Detroit, Toronto, Montreal. Detroit, Toronto, Montreal. Cleveland, which will be interesting. Cleveland will be a fun one. Anything else you want to close with or... We will soon post another Instagram video. Be on the lookout. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. this is thank you for having us. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you again for listening. And thank you to Kira and Keith for talking to me. You can find So Sensitive on Bandcamp at sosensitive.bandcamp.com and on Instagram at sosensitiveband. You can find me on Instagram at Ian K. Corey and on Twitter at lamniforms underscore. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud at lamniforms sounds. More episodes coming soon. Until next time. Oh.